Hey there, listeners. Before we get this episode going, I just want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by Cornerstone. Cornerstone helps people-focused organizations attract, retain, and develop their employees through technology. And with that, here's the episode. From HRGrapevine.com, it's the HR Grapevine Podcast. Hi there, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of The Pod. Thank you for clicking in and listening. And in this week's episode, I want to talk about personality and leadership. So we're all in agreement that the world of work, specifically the way we work, has changed a lot in the last two years. And I think we also need to acknowledge the fact that it will continue to change as time moves on. In a short span of just a couple of years, we went from working primarily in an office to working primarily from home, then going back to the office and then being told to go back home. And now we're somewhere in the middle. Lots of employees are back in the office full time, but for many, myself included, we are remaining in a hybrid and virtual environment. So with those changes in the way we work, leadership has to change along with that. And when a leader takes an active approach to changing their leadership style, they need to reflect on their own personality and how it relates to their current leadership style and where they want it to be. So to help me out with this, I'm bringing in Dr. Ryan Sherman. Now, Ryan is a personality psychologist, which is a absolutely fascinating field of study. And he went from being an academic and working in academia to being the chief science officer at Hogan Assessments. And Ryan and I are going to talk about personality data and what that means. We're going to talk about personality and what that means to leadership within this virtual setting that we are still operating in. And how can leadership spot a toxic workplace culture in this online way of working and how personality plays a huge part of that? I really enjoyed my chat with Ryan. Not only is he extremely knowledgeable and brings a wealth of information to the table, it's always good to talk to a fellow Midwesterner. So without further ado, here is my chat with Ryan. Well, thanks, thanks, Eric, for having me here. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, so uh, I am a personality psychologist, which is uh, about as exciting as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> um, there, there aren't very many of us in the world, but uh, let's see. Uh, I did my PhD in, in personality psychology at the University of California, Riverside. I was a professor for seven years, six years at Florida Atlantic University, one year at Texas Tech University before joining Hogan as the chief science officer. Uh, and in that role, uh, I run our data science division, which is really the core of our business. So everything that we do from a psychological assessment perspective uh, is all run through through my team. That's actually fascinating. Personality psychologist that actually sounds actually as exciting as it sounds (laughs) to be honest so one of the things in your bio here that 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 uh interests me was you talking about personality data so i just want to get right into it first question for the podcast today when you say personality data what does that consist of yeah, so typically, uh, I guess there's a couple of ways that we can think about personality. It's sort of the way every everyday people think about personalities in terms of our our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior, right? So we notice that other people tend to think in certain ways. They tend to act in certain ways. They tend to feel certain ways. And we notice those kinds of patterns. And so that's that's personality in the sort of everyday perspective, the way that the typical individual thinks about personality. What a personality psychologist like me tries to do is, is tries to quantify 
quantify uh, those that those reputations, try, try to quantify those things that we see other people do. And we typically do that via a personality assessment. So we might have you answer questions about the kinds of things that you typically think or the kinds of ways that you typically feel, right? So you might say, you know, I am a very competitive person, true or false. You might say uh, things like, I know why stars twinkle, true or false, right? And your responses to those questions tell us a little bit, just give us a little hint as to how you typically think, how you typically feel, and how you typically behave. And if we ask enough of those questions, we can really start to identify a pattern. And so that that kind of pattern that people who know you and see you act all the time identify, we can identify in about an hour's worth of, of questions like that. And so when we talk about personality data from a personality psychology point of view, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about the pattern of responses you give to those kind of questions. And personality psychologists have identified really common patterns that, that many people have. You've, everybody's probably heard of extroversion versus introversion. That's just one of those patterns uh, that we see. And, and that's the kind of things that we talk about when we talk about personality data. So first off, kind of an easy one, a floater, if you will, a lob. We'll keep that baseball analogy going. When it comes to digital collaborations, what are some things to avoid that you see from your research and expertise? Yeah, so I mean, digital collaboration is obviously uh, very different from from in person. Now, some of the things are, are similar in terms of how much social interaction we're getting. Um, but uh, the, some of the big things that, that show up as different in, in the kind of work that we've done is, you know, particularly in, in sort of group settings, the communication lines are a little trickier and it's much harder to um, uh, just sort of make that interpersonal connection. So one of the things that there's a whole bunch of research in this on psychology about um, uh, about liking, right, about getting people to like you and things like simple things like physical contact, uh, like shaking hands or giving someone a hug actually establishes liking says, oh, I like this person. I know this person. And those kinds of things can't be done digitally, right? So typically, you know, in a business meeting, you might start by shaking everyone's hand in the business meeting. And it, although, you know, I know in COVID times, we might be worried about that. And we want to wash our hands and all those kinds of things. But what's often missed in this is obviously there's, you know, real concerns about uh, transfer disease. But what gets missed is what's transferred psychologically, right? right. That there's this psychological connection that happens when we meet in person versus, you know, when we're doing things digitally, you don't have that. So it's much harder to make that that psychological that that psychological connection. So I think one of the things that's really important to do when we're when we're working in digital environments is to try to make a psychological connection without that physical contact. So how can you do that? You can share a story. You can relate about something that, that, that uh, two people like you and I were talking earlier about where, where we grew up. Mm -hmm. um, you can relate in those kinds of ways and build those psychological connections um, in ways that uh, you would have been able to do if you could physically be in contact with each other, but now you have to do it over, over the, the sort of a digital platform. And so I think that's one of the really important things that we've learned from, from COVID, but also just from research on digital collaboration. Great. So as now I want to talk about leadership and uh, culture based on the way that leaders lead essentially. So within this virtual hybrid environment, and I think we are kidding ourselves if we think everyone's going to go back to the office full time. I am not. Our office is in London. I'm up here in Scotland. It's a hell of a commute and I'm not going to do it every day. So I am a huge proponent of hybrid and remote working, but I know that it, it, it takes a lot 
more effort almost as you will kind of kind of like what you were saying before it takes a lot of effort to be productive um but for leadership it takes a lot for them to instill that company culture over leadership so with that in mind as leaders are spearheading the company culture based on their leadership how can an engaging and positive culture grow as we really lean in and stick with this virtual environment yeah, and I totally get it from the virtual standpoint. So prior to COVID, about 5% of our company was remote. Almost everybody was here in our physical office. Uh, Post-COVID now, about 35% of the company doesn't even live Mm -hmm. near the city like no, they're in different states they're in different countries even now whereas before we didn't have anybody like that so uh there's really no going back to the all in person for for us either so i can i totally uh get that point of view and totally appreciate it but what does it mean for leaders you're absolutely right is that that it does require extra out of leaders it requires extra communication and and Look, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, don't want to be on Zoom calls all day. They don't want to be in Teams meetings all day long. And so I kind of get that perspective. But at the same time, these are the kinds of things that you have to do as leaders that you might have done in person. And before you might have walked around and said hi to this person in the office or said hi, checked in with that person in the office. And losing those connections actually can sort of deteriorate your company culture. And so it's really incumbent upon leaders to make those connections in some other way, whether that's... Um, um, requiring a get together quarterly or every uh, six months or something like that at the year right. where you can actually spend time doing those things. Right. You know, that's what people really want in a company. Uh, you know, they want predictability. They want stability. They want to know what's expected of them on a daily basis, but they also really want to know that the company cares about them. And one way leaders can show that and build that culture of that. We really care about you and, and, and we want you to succeed here is by spending time with those people. Uh, and, and so that, that might have to be done either in a virtual way as well. Maybe you just reach out uh, through, through a chat function and just say, hey, I just want to check in and see how things are going. Maybe there's time where we can meet for just even five minutes, right? The kind of conversation you would have had. Um, and it, it feels a little, a little forced to, uh, to, to schedule these things. But I think it's really necessary if you want to build that culture that you might have had before in the office. Yeah. So I guess now, you know, we, we hear about this concept of a toxic work culture, right? And those things were very easy to define when we were all in office. It could be, you know, micromanaging was a lot more apparent when you were, when you literally had someone breathing down your neck, um, checking your work, all of that, you know, kind of watching when you came into work, watching when you came out. But now that we're in this virtual setting, what does a toxic work culture look like in this virtual and hybrid world? Yes, yeah, so there's a couple of things that I think are showing up in, in this setting. So one is you can actually still get that kind of micromanaging thing. Yes. Um, as cool as uh, uh, Microsoft products are, uh, they're also just a little bit creepy in the sense that they like you, if, if you use um, any kind of Microsoft products on like I know mine gives me an alert saying, OK, this is your meeting schedule and this is who you spent the most time collaborating with and and all of that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of analytics which can be very powerful in helping businesses make important business decisions. But at the same time, I think people are concerned that these same kind of tools can be used to micromanage people remotely. How much time are you actually spending doing this versus doing that? 
Um, and, and those kinds of concerns, are, I think, are still still there, and it can create that sort of toxic environment. But there's other things that can happen. You know, uh, workplace harassment can still happen in, in virtual settings and via messages, uh, and and maybe people are more concerned in a in a good way about sending kind of messages that are sort of a public. There's sort of a public record of that kind of thing. But nonetheless, that kind of harassment can still happen. Uh, other things you have to worry about in a virtual setting from a toxic culture is what we use, what we call the or uh, the uh, the sort of a sociogram of your of your company right so every company has what's called an organogram so we know who's at the top and who's next and who reports to who and all those lines of reporting and that's ostensibly the way communication is done and absolutely that's the way almost certainly formal communication is done through the company but there's all the informal communication and this is something that companies are probably less aware of that, that that sociogram of who's talking with who and what kind of communication are they having with each other? You know, there's the potential for a toxic employee to create toxicity among a certain area or a certain set of employees that they interact with on the company, right? This right. sort of persistent negativity. This is what we're doing wrong. This is problematic. Um, why would they do these things, right? And just sort of creating um, these environments that you might not be aware of. You might have seen it if you were in the office because you might have seen, hey, that group's getting together over there and, and they seem to be really unhappy about something. Now mm-hmm. you don't. You know, you might not be aware of who's really unhappy and what's what's going on there. So I think it's a real challenge for businesses to identify where might these toxicity issues come from. And I mean, there's ways to address it, right? So we can do things like um, uh, do, do engagement surveys, and things like that. But I mean, even there, you have to be really careful. Are people going to be honest in these surveys? Are, are people going to be forthright and tell us what the real problems are? And so I think it's really incumbent on leaders to almost to some um, uh, respect have, uh, first of all, you need to have relationships with people who will be honest and will tell you what's really going on in the organization. Right. So that's number one. And, and number two is you, you need to have people who can inform you. Uh, too often, I think as leaders, we are distant. We um, think, well, oh, everything must be great because I'm not hearing about problems. But the reality is, uh, as a leader, many people won't even bring problems to you. And so you have really have to seek them out. You have to really work hard to identify those potential uh, uh, toxic uh, issues that can be coming up and, and address those in advance. Yeah, great. So I want to wrap it up with this sort of thought here, kind of going along with what you had just said. A leader, say say I'm a CEO of a company and I'm not hearing any negative feedback from my employees. So I think that, oh, everything's fine. And I, I clearly I'm having these like tinted sunglasses on, right? I'm not seeing it. But there's a reason why people aren't telling me that things are wrong, right? A lot of times it comes down to, again, hypothetical, because I'm a very common chill individual, right? It's not me in real life, but uh, but like, what can leaders do to make themselves more more approachable in this virtual environment to have someone come up and say, listen, this is really, I'm really struggling with this. I guess that involves a shift in personality. So how do you go about, how how can a leader go about shifting their personality to be a more approachable leader within this virtual realm? 
Yeah. And, and the way I would say it, Eric, is that it really requires a shift in reputation, right? So typically we see, you know, oh, geez, I don't want to tell the leader this, that they, you know, last time we heard about there was a problem, oh, so-and-so got fired, right? That That's a really common thing to happen in companies mm-hmm. where um, a complaint was raised. Next thing you know, somebody was let go. And that really creates this toxic environment where nobody wants to tell anybody what the real problems are. Um, and so how can how can a leader do that? Well, the first thing to do is, is you've got to build trust. And well, that sounds easy. Well, it's, you know, right. Okay. Build trust. How do I do that? It typically starts by the kinds of interactions I was talking about before. You really have to sit down with people and get to know them and get to understand them and get Mm -hmm. them to learn. Um, well, we'll get them to like you. I mean, so, so liking is the first step towards trusting other people. And the way you get them to do that is by, um, being, uh, forthright, being candid with them, uh, not double dealing, um, communicating with them in advance about what's, what's going on and how changes are happening. Um, you do that by uh, avoiding going back on your word, right? So sticking to whatever you said you were going to do. Uh, those are the kinds of things that that build trust. And it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort. Uh, you can't just say, hey, you know, trust me because I'm the leader here. Uh, you have to build that one interaction at a time. I think uh, Red Arbach, the legendary basketball coach, uh, you know, they asked him, well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you coach these superstars or how do you, you know, how, how do you coach, you know, these, these players? And, and he said, well, it's one interaction at a time. That's what you do. Yeah. And, and I think that's what leaders have to do as well is one interaction at a time with their employees to, to build that kind of trust. Once again, just want to thank Dr. Ryan Sherman. He's a personality psychologist and the chief science officer at Hogan Assessments for helping me unpack personality data, personality psychology, and what that means for leadership in today's modern hybrid world. I'm Eric Niewerowski. Thanks so much for listening. And I will talk to you again next week on the HR Grapevine podcast.